0: Daniel 9, 24-27 reveals the future of the nation of Israel in amazing detail. It also mentions an evil world ruler that will rise at the end of the age called the Prince who is to come. Who is this Prince? Most agree, he is the Antichrist. While the spirit of the Antichrist is always with us, Prior to the return of Jesus Christ, a personification of the devil himself will arise with hate-spewing anti-Semitism like the world has never seen. At first, this prince is a friend to Israel, and then he turns on them. Daniel says, And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. I'm Ron Jones. And this is something good.
1: Much of God's prophecy about the nation of Israel has already come to pass, but some of it is yet to come. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for spending part of your busy Monday with us. Today, Ron takes us to Daniel chapter nine to unveil biblical prophecies that have yet to take place. Stay with us now for what promises to be an eye-opening message as Ron continues his teaching series, Mysteries of Babylon, how the prophecies of Daniel prepare us for the return of Jesus Christ. Online you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the program on your schedule or make a safe and secure donation to the ministry. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Here's Ron with part two of his message, The Future of the Nation of Israel.
0: This Antichrist will make all other anti-Semitic hatred that we've seen throughout history, whether it's Hitler or Antiochus Epiphanes, he'll make guys like that look like Girl Scouts. But that's not the end. The end of verse 27, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. What are we talking about there? That's the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he returns at the Battle of Armageddon and destroys the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel, destroys the Antichrist and then establishes his uh, millennial reign, his millennial rule. I believe that's the reference to to bring in everlasting righteousness. All the righteousness that was promised to the nation of Israel through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and King David and all of that, uh, that everlasting righteousness has not come yet, but will. There there, will come a day after the 70th week of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years on this earth. But that 70th week is still out there. So where are we? (laughs) We're in the midst of what um, many people call a prophetic gap called the church age. And it goes right in between the 69th week and the 70th. You see, on Palm Sunday, Jesus presented himself to Israel. I'm your Messiah. And the anointed one was cut off. Israel technically rejected their Messiah. And, And, you know, according to... Paul and others in the New Testament, Israel is blinded now. Every once in a while I meet somebody who says, no, I'm I'm a Messianic Jew, and they are a Jewish person, a Hebrew person who sees Jesus as the fulfillment of all the Messianic prophecies, but they're few in number. Um, right now, the Jews don't accept Jesus as their Messiah. When I go to Israel and I talk to my Jewish friends and we talk about the coming of Messiah, I say, yeah, wait, he's coming, he's coming again. You're gonna say, welcome. We Christians are gonna say, welcome back, all right? And during Daniel's 70th week, now we go to the book of Revelation, what we discover is the blinders are taken off and 144,000 Jewish evangelists who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, they go out on this earth, and simultaneous to this reign of terror put out there by the Antichrist, there's the greatest spiritual awakening perhaps in all of history that takes place because of the spread of the gospel, people coming to faith in Christ, though at great cost, the cost of their own lives because of the reign of terror on this earth. But we are in this this prophetic gap that started… On the day of Pentecost. All right? The ascension of Jesus, Acts chapter 1, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the explosive growth of the church. Why don't we see this in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament? Because both the church and the rapture are called mysteries in the New Testament. You know what a mystery is? A mystery is something that was once concealed but is now revealed. There are many mysteries. The church Is a mystery. You'll look in vain in the Old Testament for any reference to the church. All right? Uh, We we understand that Jesus first mentioned the church at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16. I will build my ecclesia, my called out ones, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. First time the church was ever mentioned. Likewise, the rapture is a mystery. Uh, There are several rapture passages that you can put down. A lot of people confuse the second coming with the rapture. Why was this uh, not specifically delineated in the Old Testament? Because it was still a mystery. It was concealed, later revealed by God at the time of His choosing uh, through the New Testament writers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks of the rapture. The most central of the passages, Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, uh, I tell you a mystery. In the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, That's that's rapture language. That's 1 Thessalonians 4 language, different than the descriptive language of the second coming, okay? Uh, John chapter 14 also, Jesus has uh, the rapture, I believe, in view there. We await the rapture. None of this was really self-evident in Daniel's prophecy because it was still a mystery. We have greater understanding than he does because of the full revelation of Scripture, and we can go back and say, oh, okay, okay. That 70th week hasn't happened yet. Where are we in God's plan in the chronology here? We're in this prophetic gap. Do we know how long it is, how many weeks, how many prophetic weeks? No, we don't. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour that Jesus will return. We are the bride of Christ awaiting our heavenly groom, are we not? Now I promised you that I would give you three or four reasons why Christians should love and support Israel, and I want to do that right now. I'm going to have to talk fast. I usually give five of them, but I'm going to give you three. Uh, Come to Israel with us, I'll give you the other two. Is that a a deal? (laughs) Nah. Here's number one, because God loves Israel. God loves Israel and we love the God of Israel, all right? Don't ever forget that. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 4, the Lord refers to Israel as Israel, my bride. That's love language. He feels so fondly about his chosen people, not chosen because they're better or they're greater, but chosen because they weren't. But He chose them. Israel, my bride. Now, if you come up to me and say, Ron, we love you. You're our pastor. We love you, but we really can't stand your wife. We wouldn't get along very well. Just, t- just saying, right? All right? It doesn't, doesn't work that way. So listen to me. It is incongruent for somebody who calls himself a Christian who loves Jesus, who loves God, to say, I love, I love you, Jesus, but I can't stand the people of Israel. I don't like the Jews. And to speak disparagingly about them. No, 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 no. Be careful with that. Be very, very careful with that. Israel, my bride. Secondly, God blesses those that bless His chosen people. Now I'm back in Genesis chapter 12. Israel, uh, Abraham was in retirement. He's 75 years old. His, his wife, Sarai, is 60. They're comfortably in the Ur of Chaldees, and she's measuring drapes, you know, for the tent and, you know, getting hanging out in retirement. The Lord calls to Abraham and says, Abraham, no, don't drive those tent pegs too deep. I got plans for you. Come out of the Ur of Chaldees, you pagan you. I'm going to make a nation out of you, this childless couple. And Abraham goes home and says, Sarah, we ain't staying here. Where are we going? I don't know. The Lord will tell us when we get there. Now, that's faith, isn't it? Yeah. Try that on sometime, guys, with your spouse. She's going to look at you like, huh? And keep measuring for the drapes. But, but Sarah and Abraham, they left the Ur of Chaldees 25 years later. Isaac was born. That takes faith. But it all started in Genesis 12. I'm going to make a nation of you. I will bless the world through you, Abraham. Jesus had that in mind when he said to the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. And I'll bless those who bless you. And I'll curse those who curse you. I don't know about you, but I want to be on the receiving end of God's blessing. I do. I, I, I know a specific way to do that. Love and support Israel. One of the reasons we travel in Israel, I've learned over multiple trips there, is because it blesses the people of Israel. We spend our money in their economy, which is largely a tourism economy. But I've noticed through multiple trips to the Middle East, to Jerusalem, every once in a while you'll get somebody to pull you aside, wink at you a little bit, say, thank you for being here. Because when we as Western Christians go or Christians from around the world go, we're saying. We're your friend. And they live in a neighborhood where they don't have very many friends. And, you know, let's just face it, the United States is is one of the lone friends of Israel, and I believe we're a blessed country in part because we have supported Israel out of our nation's capital,
1: and that needs to continue. Still ahead, the rest of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Future of the Nation of Israel, right here on Something Good Radio. Somethinggoodradio.org is the place to go to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, be sure to check out our online store for a host of great resources, including books and DVDs from Dr. Ron Jones. As a listener-supported ministry, Something Good exists only through your prayers and financial support. For your gift to something good radio today we'll give you the complete audio download to the series you are hearing now mysteries of babylon how the prophecies of daniel prepare us for the return of jesus christ that's all seven messages in ron's teaching series mysteries of babylon we'll be sharing this content with our monthly partners but today it's our thank you gift to you as well for your gift to something good radio Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org, that's somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to PO Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now let's get back to Ron for the second half of today's message, the future of the nation of Israel. Thirdly,
0: God still has a plan for Israel. Jeremiah 20 and verse 11, during in the 70 years of captivity when all hope had evaporated from them. The Lord said to Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And I believe he had all the days from that time of captivity all the way to the end of the age. I have a plan for my people Israel. God's not done with Israel. He's not done with his church until the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes and boom, we're out of here. And then we come back with him at the second coming and fight the battle of Armageddon with him and then enter into the millennial kingdom, okay? That's all exciting news. But he's not done with his church. I, I, I kind of think that, you know, it, it, it's almost like God has two children. He has Israel, and then he has his church here. And, and Israel's in timeout right now. Um, they rejected their Messiah. And, and, and God's over here dealing with His other child, you know, doing some math lessons and other stuff with Him, but this child's in timeout. He hadn't, hadn't forgotten about this child, but when He's done with this child, then He's going to come back to this child over here. That's the 70th week. Israel is blinded right now to her Messiah, but when, when God shifts His attention back to His wayward child here, He, he will finish out the promises. Israel has not claimed all of the land that God called the promised land. Even that little sliver called the nation of Israel today is just a portion of what God promised to them. But following the 70th week after the return of Jesus Christ, during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth, now I'm in Revelation chapter 20, where the phrase a thousand years is used like six times in eight verses. Guess what? A thousand years means a thousand years. Some people deny the millennium. They're called amillennialists, okay? And they have to say that, no, a thousand years means something other than a thousand years. Are you kidding me? It's mentioned six times. A thousand years means a thousand years. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ, all of the promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through King David, they're all coming, and all the land will finally be theirs, and Jesus Christ will reign Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, will reign from Jerusalem. God still has a plan for Israel. But I want you to be careful about one thing, and I'll finish up with this. There's a heresy out there, and I'll call it that, called replacement theology. And what replacement theology says is, well, you know, the Jewish people rejected their Messiah. The the Jews crucified Jesus. And it has the language and the hint of anti Semitism. They crucified Jesus, and God has done with the Jews and replaced Israel with the church. We are the new Israel. Okay? It's called replacement theology. And it's been used in some circles to uh, fuel anti Semitism down through the ages, even in our day today. I believe the New Testament teaches, not replacement theology, but it teaches that the Gentiles were grafted into the promises. Okay? And God's dealing with his two kids, one in timeout right now, and the other, you know, he's giving attention to the church. But he still has a plan for Israel. So they're not replaced. They're just in timeout right now. That's that prophetic gap. And God will return his attention. And all of the promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, all of that will finally be fulfilled at the end of the age. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? And with such precision, with the multiple of a number like seven, God's perfect number, it all kind of fits in place, right? And I hope that gives you hope today. I hope that gives you hope. I hope your troubled heart is calmed a little bit knowing that God is in control. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, and he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would tell you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's using... Middle Eastern wedding language. Remember Israel, my bride? In the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ. We are his heavenly bride awaiting our heavenly groom. And in a Middle Eastern culture, the, the, hus- the bride and the groom would get together in, and they would start in what's called a betrothal period. The betrothal would last for up to a year. And during that time, the groom went home to his father's house and he would build on extra rooms to his father's house because one day he would come back, marry his bride, and take her back to her father's house to live. Now, when my kids get married, I hope they get their own house, all right? But that's a whole other story. But in that culture, the groom during the betrothal period would go back here, build on these extra rooms to his father's house. The bride didn't know the day or the hour that the groom would return. Does that sound familiar? But she knew he would, and when he came, he'd marry her, take her back. To his father's house so that where he was, she could be also. This is how Jesus brought comfort to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. And Jesus is coming again, friends. I, I believe that John 14 was describing the first half of his second coming that we call the rapture of the church, all right, along with 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it's a day to love and support Israel. It's a day to ready ourselves and wait for our heavenly groom who's coming. We are in this prophetic gap. There is more to come for Israel. Make no mistake about it. But get ready, folks. Get ready. We're closer than they were 2,000 years ago. And when I talk to people today, they say, wow, we must be really, really close given things that are happening in our world today. I don't know the day or the hour, and nobody does who says they do, all right? Don't fall into that trap. But just get ready. Just get ready. And in the meantime, love and support the nation of Israel whom God loves. We love Israel, and we love the God of Israel, and we want God to bless us as much as he blesses the nation of Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem because it's a hotbed of turmoil today and will be even more so in the end. Troubled times will come, but Jesus Christ is coming and our redemption draws nigh. Amen.
1: Thanks so much for stopping by for today's Something Good radio message, the future of the nation of Israel. And Ron, earlier in today's message, you said you usually give five reasons why Christians should support the nation of Israel. In the interest of time, you only shared three of them when you shared today's sermon at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, but we have a little time left on today's program, so I thought I'd ask you to share the other two reasons.
0: Sure thing, Brian. By way of review, I said there are at least three reasons we should love and support Israel. First, because God loves Israel. He calls her my bride in the Old Testament. Second, because God blesses those that bless his chosen people. Check out Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And thirdly, because God still has a plan for Israel. If we're learning anything from our study of the book of Daniel, it's that God has a plan for Israel. His promises are yes and amen. And he will make good on all of that to his, his chosen people all the way to the end of the age. But here's a fourth reason to love and support Israel. Our Christian faith has deep Jewish roots. Uh, we Gentile believers are indebted to the Jews spiritually. I'm thinking of a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at a well Uh, located in John chapter 4 and verse 22 and in that conversation Jesus said salvation is from the Jews. I think what he had in mind there uh, was uh, the sum total of all the Old Testament scriptures, the patriarchs, the prophets, uh, in the New Testament, Mary and Joseph were Jews, the 12 disciples were all Jews, the apostles were Jews, Paul himself said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and yes, Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, was a Jew. He came from the line of Abraham, he came from the line of David. So. Our Christian faith has deep, deep Jewish roots. A fifth and final reason to love and support Israel is because those that love Israel shall prosper. The Bible tells us so. Psalm chapter 122 and verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Another translation says, may all who love this city, that is the holy city of Jerusalem, may all who love this city prosper. So there you have it, Brian, Uh, five good reasons to love and support the nation of Israel. One good step to take is to come to Israel with us. Go to somethinggoodradio.org and check out the next opportunity to uh, travel to Israel with us. You will not only fall in love with the land of the Bible, you'll fall
1: in love with the Jewish people themselves. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on why we as believers in Christ should support the nation of Israel. So, Ron, before we go, what can you tell us about where you're headed tomorrow as you continue your teaching series, Mysteries of Babylon, how the prophecies of Daniel prepare us for the return of Jesus Christ? Well, Brian, we live in an era in which it's not popular to
0: believe in the devil. Intellectuals, or at least most of them, scoff at the idea. But many, including the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, was very candid about his belief in Satan and in spiritual forces of darkness. So was our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Daniel chapter 10, which is where we're headed next week, God gives Daniel a terrifying vision of a great conflict. Some of the visions concern the physical realm, the real world with real armies and real battles, but there's also a war being waged in the spiritual realm And I want to get into some of that detail next time because it offers us some very practical lessons we can put into practice today as we live out our faith and as we uh, put
1: the message of the book of Daniel into practice. That's next time when Ron shares his message, Warfare in the Heavenly Realms. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.